Every 16 minutes, a woman is raped somewhere in India. Every four minutes, a woman experiences cruelty at the hands of her in-laws. In 2019, India recorded 88 rape cases every day. A total of 405,861 cases of crime against women were registered during 2019. This was an increase of 7.3% over 2018. These are the statistics from the National Crime Records Bureau's latest report. Today on The Brown Box, we talk about gender violence in India. Welcome to The Brown Box, a podcast in which we discuss the good, the bad, and the crazy that make up the country we love, India. It, I, I don't understand why it's so easy to hate and hurt. How long can we just keep ourselves in this whole cycle of believing that we are the ones who really need to be carrying the burden of our own security? This episode of the podcast is brought to you in collaboration with Ishi. Ishi is an independent women's magazine and blog based in New Delhi that amplifies women's voices and stories about our shared humanity. Today I hear the stories of two women who have their own individual experiences with gender violence and the trauma associated with it, but who both have been able to channel their feelings and experiences into different avenues with the common goal of reducing and ultimately ending gender violence in India. First, Dr. Lakshmi Devi is, yes, a doctor, but also an actress, director, screenwriter and producer. She has her own film production company in the United States and has recently launched her directing debut, a movie titled When the Music Changes, which explores in a raw and courageous manner rape culture in India. And then Smitha Bharti, an Indian social activist, writer and director. She's directed over 20 plays, worked on films, video installations, interactive exhibitions and audiobooks. She also works with Sakshi, an NGO focused on promoting everyday equality, ending gender violence, law reform, and judicial education for gender equality. We begin our discussion at the place where the fear of sexual violence, whether overt or unknown, begins for all women in India and many parts of the world. We begin when we were little girls. I was a tall girl. My mother kept telling me that she was going to have to put bricks on my head to stop me growing taller because if I was too tall, I would not be able to find a husband. It was a joke, of course, made funnier because she was tiny, around 5'2", when I was an 11-year-old at 5'4". But it did make me think that my physical being had one goal, to find a husband. Maybe it was not so well defined in my head, but I did realize that my physical body, which was once just for playing, jumping, swimming, climbing, was now being defined by a need that was external to me. And that was a little strange. Lakshmi had a similar experience. What she was allowed to do with her body was suddenly controlled. One thing that I do remember was I was a very playful child and I love sports. And all of a sudden one day, the sport stopped. That's what I know about becoming a woman, to be very honest. Till about 10th grade, I had sports. And then after that, it was just gone. That was it. 
There was no more running around. There was no more athletics. Don't do this because then boys will look at you. So that was the, the formula that was presented. Don't do this because then you're attracting attention. You know, so anything that you do, like, um, I mean, anyone ever saw a bra strap and that was it. You know, that was it. I mean, oh, my God. I mean, you would like rip in shame, <laughs> you know, and <clears throat> it would be so hard. And when you like bend over through that small pocket, you know, beneath you know, this thing, you know, they will look inside. And it's not ever the people who are looking inside, literally down your blouse, that are shamed. It's the young teenager who's looking through a microscope to study. This is an important insight. It's not the boy looking who gets in trouble. It's the girl bending over the microscope or bending to pick up a ball, to tie a shoelace, to hug a friend. It's our behavior that needs to adjust. Placing the onus on the girl, a young woman, who doesn't know her sexuality or is just beginning to understand it, and not on the man, not on the society, can have tragic consequences. Smitha's story, her journey, shows us why this approach just doesn't work. I'm so grateful to Smitha for sharing her story. I have quite a story and I'm kind of able to speak about it just very recently now, uh, Rani, uh, I would say not even as far back as four or five years ago could I even begin to talk about it, you know, and I think it happened during one of the TED talks. I was invited for one of the TEDx and they asked me, I was thinking, what is it I'm going to talk? Is it the first time I actually addressed this for myself also? It was about four or five years ago. So my experience of this began, I'm a, I'm a child sexual abuse survivor. Right. So for me, this experience happened like really early on. Like I was tiny. I was really tiny. I was five or six. Like usually it happens when you start having um, your you know, menstrual cycle begins or when your breasts start developing or something like that. For me, something like this, I'm a girl and my body is something which doesn't belong to me. Um, and I have to fear men. <laughs> Is and I am different, and I'm separate from, like the, I'm 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 this girl's body, and this is a man's body, and man's body has got to be feared. Is something that started really young, really early on. So, and then it became like a burden, because as I entered into my teens, I was so ashamed of my body, because I felt I had this huge secret I was carrying around and it was like um, my breasts were beginning to grow and I was I was I had big breasts really early on and I was like oh this is because you know this experience has happened with me so now my body everybody will get to know you know so so there's a lot of trauma of growing up as a girl according to the National Crime Record Bureau 109 children in India face some form of child sexual abuse every day Asking little girls to bear the burden of their own protection, their own safety, is not the answer. Why? Because it's not working. There are 109 children every day who can testify to this. It was the entry of two young girls into her life that was a catalyst for Lakshmi to speak up. What really spurred me to be an exceptionally strong voice and be exceptionally vocal 
was uh, the birth of my nieces. My sister has two babies, and both of them were girls, and they're really pretty. And when I saw them, I just, you know, I was really happy. And then I thought, like, I had this flashback of uh, me growing up and the kind of stuff that we all had to deal with. Now, till then, it was personal. Now it's not. Now it's not. Like, now I'm not going to keep quiet. I remember when I was growing up, I, I always thought that if there were, you know, there's so many older women around us, right? And men, men also, but leave them for the time being. Just older women who would have gone through so much of stuff, right? They never spoke up. You know, they just didn't because they were trying to keep that unit. What they didn't understand is that they're kind of perpetuating more and more toxicity. You know, and I just, I didn't want to be part of that cycle. I want to know no matter whether, I know it's a long process. I know we have a long way to go, but at least I need those kids to know that I tried. And to highlight the impact of this silence, listen to what Smitha courageously shares with me when I ask her if as a child she understood that she was being abused. Not at all. Not at all. Not at all. Absolutely not. Because you don't know. You're a child, right? You just don't know. And in fact, um, as a the human body is meant to be touched and stroked and caressed. And it feels good. And as a child, when that happens, you are like, oh, this is really nice. And you kind of really wait for it as well. But then when you start growing up and then, and then inadvertently you talk about it to somebody or the other, which is really your peers or just somebody distant or, you know, and then you get a slam back in your face. Oh, really? And then the stigma and the shame which follows out of that is what makes you feel, oh, my God, what did I do? It's just something, oh, God, I need to hide this. This is wrong. This is not good. This makes me a bad person. This is my fault. So all of that came much later, the layering of it. And then the shame for my own body came much later as a teenager. What did I do? This makes me a bad person. This is my fault. These are not the right reactions to an act of abuse, especially if you're a little girl. Lakshmi talks more about this. People tend to associate, especially in India, not, not just in India, let me not say that, all over the world, you know, it's somehow like if you talk a particular way or if you dress up a particular way or if you're educated in a particular way, it's as if the rape won't happen or the assault won't happen, which I know isn't true. Like they're raping babies, you know, and it's not a one-off sort of um, um, incident. Like raping children is something that we hear every couple of days. You know, grown women is a whole different story. It has nothing to do with how we walk or talk or what, how educated we are or even how educated men are. It has nothing to do with that. Lakshmi breaks down a scene in her movie where the protagonist, which she plays herself, is raped. You know, so in the film, I kind of wanted to bring that sort of contrast even. So I was very careful about, you know, what this girl wore when she was out, how much she knew those other people, how she interacted with them. Uh, and the whole reason, even for the scene, I had to try and make sure that there was nothing sexual about it. You know, where for them, it wasn't even sexual. It was power. 
you know, which is something that is more often seen, but people just don't like talking about it. They always like just, you know, it's, uh, you showed your hip to someone, so now he has to rape you because he can't control himself. You know what I mean? Like, it's like enough is enough. So as a filmmaker, I did kind of be very um, particular about not wanting to make something that would be tintillating in any way. At least I've tried, you know, but at the same time, I wanted to make something that was so uncomfortable that even if you try, first of all, it's a long scene. So even if you try and take your eyes away or shut your ears, it's still there. And that for me is the subtext of what happens in society, especially now with social media. Every day you wake up and you read about something new. Not one case. You're reading about several. This happened in this state. This happened in this city. And now you're just becoming numb to it because, and you shut it off. And I've seen people do this, like no negative vibes. I don't want to hear anything bad. But it doesn't, you know what I mean? Like they don't want to ruin their day. But it doesn't change the fact that this is what is actually happening. I agree with Lakshmi. These are conversations that people just don't want to have women, men, they would rather just ignore them. And when it's me out having brunch with my friends, living a really privileged life, surrounded by people who are also leading very privileged lives, this indifference angers me. A friend's husband asked me the other day, is it really that bad? I politely, well, I think I was polite that, but that could be disputed, said, how bad does it have to be for us to talk about it? He acknowledged, but then his wife changed the conversation. So I lost, women lost, because we did not have the conversation. But my anger is reserved for people with privilege. For others, women who are more entwined in India's patriarchal system, for them I have more sympathy. Smitha explains this really well. We, as women, often don't have access to resources. And especially if you have been like a homemaker, then your access, you, however, whatever might have been your education level, once you fall into that whole gradient of being a homemaker, then internally as well, you stop accessing the resources that, that you might have had at your disposal because of your education as well. Right. So you are in that whole spiral in which you say, I really have no out. This is the only structure. And then couple that, layer that with the belief that doli jayegi, arthi aegi. So don't break up families. They absorb the violence. They, they, uh, you know, they just take everything in. They don't let it come. You become shiv. Don't let it come out onto your uh, external community. Don't let it come on into your internal, like your family or your children or something like that, you know. So you are, you are kind of conditioned to accept violence. We had a huge joint family, like my father was like huge number of brothers and sisters and my mother was like huge number of brothers and sisters and everybody would come together, you know, paternal, maternal grandparents would also come to huge family, huge cousins, lots and lots and lots of people and lots of family dynamics, right? Um, and, and, and you would hear your grown up, uh, almost like an Ismat Chuktai world would come alive and you would have this Apas and the, the Masis and the Boas and all talking about and saying, doli jayegi, aegi. you know, whatever happens in the families, between the family, you just, a woman's job is to just and bear it and, you know, go with it. 
the, all of those stories were what? Just this about normalizing violence and saying, manage it. It's part of life. You are a woman and you will be, um, uh, you will be exposed or you will be uh, experiencing all of this um, in your adult life and even as your child in, in your growing up years and you are then just expected to accept it. So we think we have choices, but we're really choiceless. We don't have the choices and we don't even know how to ask for those choices because we would get a pushback. We would get a, the status quo gets depressed. So there's a pushback into the space. That is acceptable. That you need to accept and bear with. So many Indians live just how Smitha described her family, you know, large joint families. But the world is changing. Couples are living away from home. Women are going out to work. Children are growing up understanding their rights. The family structure is changing. Listen to what Lakshmi says about this. Parents, you're raising your children in a particular way. And they're destined to fail because the world is changing. Women are not going to be dealing with that anymore. And your boys will not know what to do. They grew up seeing their mother suffer and they believe that that was what love was. Or is, you know, they believe, oh, look at how much my mother has been going through. And they think that that's what love is. The daughters, the daughters think that, oh, it's okay because my dad used to do this to my mother and so that's the way a man should treat me. They're just trying to live their life and they think that they're doing a good thing by holding together the family unit. But what they don't understand is there's just so much of toxicity that is involved. You know, on some level, it's actually kind of, I don't know if they have that kind of foresight, but they don't understand how damaging it is to the children. Now, their boys are coming out into the world, and they think, oh, there's nobody like my mom. My mom have dealt, has dealt with so much. And then I ask them, you know, your mom didn't have to, right? That's the point. The point is your mother didn't have to. It's sad that she did. That's not the love part. She had no other go. She stayed. She did what she had to. But honey, that's not love. I do love the last point in the way she expresses it. Yes, let's stop equating sacrifice with love. As Smitha explains, it creates a cycle of suffering. So what do you do? Then you can either think of yourself like this real poor little woman, oh my God, and I'm going to be like this martyr and keep crying. Or you can become this thing, okay, I'm in charge. Now, what are you in charge of? I'm in charge of the violence. I provoke, he beats me up, I like it, I enjoy it. I will provoke him more and I will give it back to So that whole loop of violence that starts, which you start um, accepting as that you are the one who's actually driving the loop, whereas you're not. You're actually not. You're just as much a, as a, what should I say, a prisoner of that violence, prisoner of that loop, as maybe the toxic man is trapped in his own masculinity as well. One of the things that really stood out for me in Lakshmi's film, When the Music Changes, was the myriad different types of violence that are depicted. Verbal violence, the threat of violence, physical violence between men, violent reactions, violent language, violent tones of voice. The final act of rape in the film is a culmination of all these acts of violence. And whilst we can give allowance to the fact that men live in a toxic world, a world that calls for hypermasculinity, 
a world where they might feel trapped, we can never really ignore this reality. Um, if you ask a man what he's really scared of or anything, he, he doesn't get up in the morning and think about any kind of violence, as in him being attacked or anything like that. We get up in the morning hoping that no one does anything to an orifice of ours, you know, which is kind of different. Are you worried about someone sticking something up in you? No. Then our lives are not the same, <laughs> you know. It's that simple, you know. They don't get up thinking about their safety, to be, uh, to be very point blank. They don't think about their safety. They don't have to think about safety. We have to think about safety from the time we're aware till the time we die. As I interviewed Lakshmi, her emotions felt closer to mine. She had rage. She had anger. She was me at that brunch asking, what do you mean is it so bad? How bad does it have to be? But as I interviewed Smitha, I couldn't help but admire her calm, measured words. I couldn't help feeling like I wanted to respond the way she was responding. So I asked her about anger. I asked her if it was okay to be angry. And I half expected her to tell me that I needed to move beyond it and maybe even give me some tools to move beyond it. But here's what she said. I love anger. I love anger. I think anger is one of the strongest and the most powerful and the most positive emotion that we should have. We don't have enough anger. We should have more anger. But what do we do with that anger is what is more important. Okay, am I using that anger to destroy or to... It's like nuclear energy. Am I making a bomb out of it or am I making something else out of it? And then what am I doing with the residue waste of that anger? Okay. So it's, it's about how I'm treating anger, how I'm dealing with anger. We must have more anger. Of course we must have anger because these are things to be angry about. These are not things to take down, lying down calmly and say, oh, okay, we'll sort it out, let's think this through. It's not about thinking this through. This is about sweeping change. Sweeping change can happen with the force that we need, the tidal wave that we need to change things, right? But within that, Am I just destroying? Is destruction, is violence my uh, uh, end point? I want to have violence over there because violent systems are not really working. Violent systems have given us a capitalist society. Violent systems have given us a prison systems. Violent system has given us a criminal justice. Violent systems have not solved the problem. They have just increased the problems, right? So we really need to be looking at, can we take this into creating compassion? Can we be so angry that we can actually dismantle the structures that we have and then reconstruct a structure of compassion and care and transformation and actual real justice that we want to talk about? That is such a lovely thought. I asked Lakshmi what she thought a world without gender violence looked like. I loved her answer. Productive, to be very honest. Take away the gender violence. I'm sure violence will still prevail. But take away gender violence. <laughs> what we have, of course, it's obvious peace, a lot more happiness, uh, a lot more solace, but also a lot more productivity. You know, a lot more productivity. If you're not pitching genders against each other, you know, you're literally uh, keeping away 50% of the workforce. How in the world, from a business perspective, does that make any sense? You know, so I would see the world as a lot more productive. You know, imagine on a film set, 
you know, where you had equal influences or even writing when you have equal influences, you know, you get so much more, people get to learn so much more, you know, they have so much more of access to them and the toxicity comes down. I see a lot of healing, you know, without the gender violence, just a lot of healing, you know. Thinking about healing, I asked Smitha about healing. How did she move from being a victim into a place of healing, a better place? I think healing is not like a, there's no, it's not a straight linear process. I can't say, okay, I was that at that point of time and now I have reached this place and I'm healed or something. I think, I think for me, I've experienced healing as like a cyclical process. So to go, there are days when I'm still very bad and then there are days when I have been very good even long back and earlier. For me, I have been very, very personally driven with, um, uh, I have an innate uh, sense of joy in life. Okay, it's, it's a, uh, I don't know how to explain it. It's an innate sense of childlike joy, you know. Um, uh, there is a, there's just a belief that there's goodness in this world. And that, I think, is the perfect place to end this podcast. Gender violence is not an easy subject to talk about, and I'm so grateful to Smitha and Lakshmi for allowing me to share their stories. As always, I end by asking both of them what they're most passionate about at this point in their lives. Lakshmi, of course, speaks about her film, When the Music Changes. This is what she says. First of all, I think I made this film with the sole intention of hoping that it makes a difference for both men as well as women. I wanted to make something that churned your stomach enough so that it invoked a certain thought process. People, no matter whether you're a man or a woman, or what, no matter what age spectrum you're in, I think there's something that you can take away from this, you know, and uh, at least a movie, either it's useful for you or you'll know exactly who to send it to, you know? And I would like that if you see someone else who has been a victim that has suffered through this, I would like my film to be sent to that person and say that, hey, I think you should watch this. And I think it will help them heal. So this is why you should watch my film. It's about when the music changes. Smitha speaks about the latest initiative from Sakshi. So then we partnered with the Ministry of Youth Affairs and Sports. I mean, we went to them and we presented a proposal and they gave us a directive to reach out to 40,000 colleges, 4 million youth, and educate them on becoming preventers of sexual violence, specifically child sexual abuse within the families. And that's the project that we are working on, trying to raise funds for it. We just started in December 2019, and then COVID came. But in spite of that, in the, these 12 months, till March 2021, we managed to reach out to 12,500 families across India, and now this year, our target is to be able to reach out to at least um, a lakh fifty families, and then next next year onwards, maybe have the resources to scale it up to reach the four million that we have to reach out. You can find more information about Lakshmi Devi and Smitha Bharti in the link in our show notes. Do write to me and let me know what you thought of the show. And if you have time, join us next week for the next episode of The Brown Box, where we discuss sex and Bollywood.